Hear that? That's the sound of your car's NCT getting closer. But this year, why not rely on an Avantcard loan rather than luck? If it's time to upgrade your car to something newer, it's time you contacted Avantcard. Avantcard offers loans from 5,000 to 75,000 euro, approval in principle in minutes, and personalised pricing made for you. Find out more at avantcard.ie. Lending criteria, terms and conditions apply. Avantcard DAC Trading's Avantcard is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Welcome into another edition of the Dynasty Blueprint. I'm your host, Ryan McDowell, joined as always by Matt Williamson. Matt, the draft is getting closer and closer. We're hearing reports. We're seeing mock drafts. This this time is near. Yeah, it is. I'm pretty excited about it. Can't come soon enough, although I am always feel like I'm behind. Uh, we have a great guest today that will get us up to speed and certainly is not behind. And, you know, this, this time of year, to get someone like Dane on is tremendous. It's pretty exciting. Absolutely. We do have Dane Brugler. Dane uh, is is a name you all know, I'm sure. He's the senior draft analyst for CBS and NFL Draft Scout. Dane, how's it going today? No, it's going well. I appreciate uh, you guys having me on, Ryan, Matt. Uh, it's uh, it's an honor to be on with you guys. And you know, we're, what, three weeks away. So uh, you know, this is the time when we're trying to connect the dots. Uh, you know, hopefully... You know, all the work's been done at this point. It's just more about uh, trying to you know connect the dots and figure out where these where these teams might be looking with these players, especially in that first round. For sure, it's it's obviously the busy season for NFL teams. It's the busy season for you as well. So we're glad uh, that you you take a few minutes out of your day for us. Uh, Dane, first of all, I, w- I want to know a little bit more about this draft guide that you've released. I've been checking it out. It's it's so impressive. Over 200 pages of information. And us uh, us dynasty fantasy football guys have the luxury uh, of really just focusing on those four positions that we'll, we'll talk a lot about today, quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tight end. You're not so lucky. You, you've got to study the <laughs> offensive linemen, all the defensive players everything so i can't imagine the time that went into this draft guide but it's very impressive write-ups on every player that you could imagine i know your wide receiver rankings i think they even go over a hundred deep so it's really unbelievable just tell us a little bit about all the work that goes into that and kind of your schedule well it's really a 10-month process uh and it's rolled up into this 200-page document and really if i didn't use eight point uh, you know, font and, you know, cram everything in there. It'd, it'd be a lot longer than 200 pages, but uh, it's a very meat and potatoes type of guide where it's, it's got everything you want on a player from, uh, you know, how many games he started as a freshman, uh, all the stats, uh, you know, the, the athletic testing numbers, combine pro day, you know, his birth date. And then of course uh, the background information, strengths, weaknesses, and then the overall analysis about what this player projects to at the next level. So uh, it, it's something that I take a lot of pride in. I really enjoy doing. 
uh, all the digging that it takes. It really is a 10 month process that, you know, this is the finished product. And I just, it's a lot of fun to share this with everyone. The feedback I've received is, it's been great. So, uh, you know, anyone that's interested, just check out my Twitter, uh, at DP Brugler. Uh, it's under 10 bucks. It's an automatic PDF download. Um, I've never had someone get it and tell me, you know what, there's just, there's too much information in there. You know, I just, there's a, uh, if, and it's not, we know about a lot of the first and second round guys, you know, the general NFL fan, but I think where my guide really kind of flexes his muscles in the, the day three, you know, the late mid to late rounds, even in the undrafted guys where, you know, your team drafts a defensive tackle from Albany state in the seventh round. Well, you can go to my guide and figure out uh, everything you need to know about him there. So I appreciate you uh, mentioning it. Yeah, for everyone that's listening, it really is one-stop shopping. It's got everything you want on every player ranked in detail, and it's not too wordy. It's not like, boy, this is getting a little old. I mean, it's concise. It's very, very good. Thanks, guys. Well, Dan, along with your draft guide, you also continue your work for CBS and NFL Draft Scout. You've recently released your brand-new mock draft, um, which is the thing to do this this time of year. We want to go through some of these picks, and if you would – just kind of talk about the the potential matchup with that team, what you saw either with the player or the team that that made you project that pick. And again, we're just going to focus on those four offensive skill positions. The first player coming off the board. Ryan, I, I apologize, but before we do, I just want to ask Dane one question about the mock. Is it how you think it will go or how you would pick if you're the GM or a combination of both? There's kind of two ways of looking at mocks when you do them. Right. No, and I'm glad you, you brought that up because for me, mock drafts are always about what I think teams might do. It's never okay. what I would do or I think they should do. It's, it's, to me, it's an exercise in playing out a scenario how the draft could play out. You know, and, and we're still three weeks away, so uh, you know, I'm not sure. You know, the last mock draft will be more about accuracy. This is just more about scenarios and possibilities where these guys could end up. Okay, and what you're hearing and match right. needs with teams and that sort but, of Yeah, and based on, you know, top 30 visits, uh, you know, who's working out who, uh, yeah, exactly what I'm hearing, that's what goes into the mock. Okay, that makes sense. That's good information. And I, I respect those mocks that are, that are put out by others that, uh, I guess, show what they would do if they were running each team. But to me, what you've done here has more value. Tell me what you think the teams might actually do. Let's get started. The sixth pick overall, the New York Jets, you have them taking quarterback Mitchell Trubisky. Uh, what did you see there? Obviously, the Jets have a big need at quarterback. Yeah, and you know, since Mike McCagnan has taken over as general manager uh, two years ago, they've drafted two quarterbacks in the top four rounds. Bryce Petty out of Baylor two years ago, and then Christian Hackenberg in the second round last year. So uh, they've uh, you know taken you know two hacks uh, at, at pitches, and I think they've uh, you know I don't know if they swung and missed, but they were maybe foul tips. You know they they didn't make solid <laughs> contact on either one, um, and only the Jets really know how much they believe in either one of these guys, if they truly believe down the road they could be something. But they're doing their due diligence on these quarterbacks this year. So there's obviously some interest. And at picking at number six, there's, a, I think, a very good chance that all the quarterbacks will be available for the Jets and for uh, Coach Bowles and Mike McCagnin. Who knows if you're going to have another shot at drafting a quarterback. So if you believe in one of these players, uh, and they've done a lot of work on Mitchell Trubisky, 
if you believe in one of these guys, I, I think you have to pull the trigger. And I, I think that uh, Trubisky at six, definitely a possibility we have to keep an eye on. Dane, I'm not shooting holes in your mock, but I'm curious, what did you have the Jaguars doing? I, I strongly think they're going to go offense in, their, in the top five. But I mean, we didn't even talk about those guys. You know, the, the Jags are tough. When you look yeah. at their roster, uh, they don't really have glaring needs. It's pretty I good, mean, yeah. It, you, you, especially you look at what they did in free agency, uh, you know, adding guys like Calais Campbell and uh, Bouye in this at corner. And, uh, you know, they've they've addressed a lot of their needs, so they can truly go best player available. Um, I, to me, I don't know. I just don't see uh, them going running back at four. I mean, maybe they will. Maybe they take Fournette that early. Um, I, that's just, that's so early for a running back that I, I'm just, I'm not sold on. Uh, maybe the Jaguars will be sold on, uh, on, on him. And the Jaguars are a very analytical thinking team. And so for me, I would just be surprised if they went, uh, for that early, but you know what, maybe they will, uh, you know, OJ Howard, one of these receivers it's possible. Uh, but I think that they're going to stay true to the best player available theory. And I, to me, that would be, you know, a Jonathan Allen, maybe one of these secondary guys. Uh, so yeah, the Jaguars, they're, they're a true wild card because when you look at the roster, you know, besides quarterback, uh, in which I don't think they're going to go that direction, uh, you know, they don't have like a glaring position where you say, well, you know, they really need an upgrade here. Speaking of quarterback, and we were just on the Jets, what was your take on Hackenberg a year ago? Well, he's he was a lump of clay. I mean, he's yeah. he's a tall, strong-armed passer who, uh, you know, mentally, I mean, he's he's a guy that's invested in the game. He wants to be a, a very good player, uh, but it just never all came it never all came together for him. Uh, at at Penn State, you never saw that gradual development that you wanted to see. Um, there was a point in last year's draft where I would take a chance on him. I think I gave him a, a late fourth, early fifth round grade. You know, that's where you, you take a chance. To, you know, it's a lottery ticket. You, you take a chance on a guy like that. But, uh, you know, Jets took him in the second round. And so, uh, you know, I think there's something to be said about, uh, you know, kind of uh, looking to upgrade, even though, you know, it, if you draft the quarterback at number six, if you're the Jets, you're basically admitting a mistake last year in the second round, uh, you know, because you're already upgrading a position that you addressed in the second round last year. Uh, and, and so is that something that Mike McCagnan and the front office in New York, do, do they have the stones to do that? I, I think they might have to because of the situation they, they find themselves in currently. Uh, you know, they need to show a, a cohesive plan for the future. I'm just not sure that Hackenberg or Petty is it. Dane, you mentioned Fournette, and he's the next offensive skill guy coming off the board for you at eight to the Panthers. Of course, they have Jonathan Stewart. There were rumors that he could be gone. It looks like that's not going to happen with a restructured contract. Fournette would be a great fit, I would think, in that power run offense. I agree. And, you know, even though, you know, Carolina, a lot of shotgun, you know, Fournette's more of a eye formation. I mean, I still think, you know, the identity they have in that run game with power uh, it, selfishly, it would just be fun to watch Cam Newton and Leonard Fournette in the same backfield. Uh, you know, just two physical freaks. Uh, you know, good luck defending that. Uh, and you know, Jonathan Stewart averaged under four yards a carry last year. Only had one hundred-yard game uh, rushing performance. So, you know, I think we all agree he's you know, more on the back end of his career. Um, and so, bring in Fournette to be uh, just another hammer that you can use in the toolbox and. Uh, you know, I, we can debate whether or not the value is there for running back uh, at eight overall, but I think for the Panthers, it does make a lot of sense. 
Dane, do you, I, I know Fournette is not your top-ranked back, and maybe we'll get to that in a minute here, but do you agree that if the Panthers do go running back at eight, it has to be Fournette? It can't be Cook or McCaffrey or one of those types. I wouldn't say that. I mean, I, I do think that the NFL, or plenty in the NFL, like Fournette more than I do. Um, I, I like Fournette. I think he's a solid mid-first-round pick, but he's actually my number three-ranked running back this year, which uh, you know I know I'm on the outside uh, looking in on that one, uh, on that opinion. And, and that's fine. I, I like Fournette uh, quite a bit. I'm just, I don't love him as much as some other people do. But I do think that, uh, you know, Dalvin Cook and Christian McCaffrey, uh, I don't see any reason why they shouldn't be in the conversation. If you're okay with taking a running back, uh, you know, at eight overall, then those guys should be in the conversation. Uh, you know, I think with Dalvin Cook, you have uh, just a more natural runner. Uh, and with Christian McCaffrey, you know, he might not fit your traditional, uh, you know, quote unquote, feature back definition. But if you tweak that definition a little bit, I, I think you can use a player like that. So uh, to me, I, I, you know, talking to, you know, scouts and, you know, my buddies in the league, I get the sense that Leonard Fournette is, uh, you know, viewed as the top guy by by several out there. I don't know what the Panthers are thinking, but I do think that uh, if they did go running back at eight, Fournette would make the most sense. I just think he fits their mold better. I mean, he's a hammer. Right. I definitely agree with that. Uh, that's something that, uh, and like I said before, selfishly, I think you just want to see that. You, you want to see Fournette and Cam in the same backfield. Uh, that just be that'd be a lot of fun. But I think what you know what you said earlier about fitting that run power offense, uh, you know, it does really make sense. Dane, the Bills have a, a huge need at the wide receiver position. They've got Sammy Watkins and not much else after they lost Robert Woods. You have them taking Corey Davis with the tenth pick. And Corey Davis will be uh, uh, you know a hotly debated player because the production's outstanding. Uh, but you know he did it uh, against Matt competition for the most part. Uh, he played you know pretty well when he faced a few Big Ten teams, but for the most part he beat up on you know, Matt corners who you know won't be sniffing the NFL. Uh, and Davis missed basically all of the pre-draft process. You know he still hopes to run before the draft with that ankle, uh, but it's you know kind of still up in the air if he will be able to or not. So, you know, there's, you know, if you're thinking about taking a Mac receiver top 10, it's, it's not ideal that you can't see him work out pre-draft. Uh, he's not 100% healthy, but uh, he's just a fun player. It's hard to poke holes in his game. I mean, you could talk about uh, the, the competition and, you, you know, the level of play week in, week out. But when you just break down the skill set and everything that he brings to the football field, uh, size, speed, his route running, his ball skills, uh, there, there's so much to like. I think he'd be the perfect running mate to pair with Sammy Watkins in Buffalo. Are you worried about drops with Davis at all? No, I. You know, it's he, with the volume of targets that he received. Uh, you know, he did have some focus drops, but to me, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't an issue. It wasn't something that I am worried about going forward. Uh, I mean, this is a player who, uh, with the amount of targets he saw in that offense, he had what 97 catches this year. He had, uh, you know, 332 catches over his career. So it, it's something where, uh, you know, I, I think it's uh, not out of normal proportion uh, of drops that get, get, would get me worried about him at the next level. So the Browns pick first overall, of course, and and like most people, you have them taking Miles Garrett with that first pick. Uh, the 12th pick is where it gets interesting for them. Most people see them going offense somehow, and you you do as well with O.J. Howard, the, the big tight end from Alabama. 
12, I mean, a lot of these teams are wild cards, but Cleveland at 12, especially, is a wild card. Um, you know, we look at quarterback, obviously, it's the number one need. Um, I'm just, I'm not convinced they're going to go that direction at this pick unless they really love one of these players. Um, uh, but with, if they decide to go, you know, best player available, you know, who's going to help their roster? OJ Howard, to me, will make some sense for them. They coached him at the Senior Bowl, so I think Hugh Jackson uh, will is a you know he'll have a voice in that uh, in that draft decision, and he'll be have a loud voice for for OJ Howard and what he brings to the field. Uh, very multi-dimensional tight end can line up in line, wing in the slot, out wide. Uh, very accomplished uh, pass catcher uh, with a skill set that he offers from so a size, speed perspective. He's a true four-five athlete. Uh, it was underutilized in that Alabama offense. Uh, you know, only had uh, 45 catches last season. Uh, you know, wasn't a big play threat. Only averaged 13.2 yards per carry or per catch. But I think he has all the skills to develop into a weapon uh, that you really feature in your offense at the NFL level. And I think Hugh Jackson would be able to use him. Uh, you know, from day one in that Cleveland offense. Dane, do you agree that this it would be highly unlikely? for Howard to fall any further. I mean, he seems like a top 12 pick to me all day long. Yeah, and I think he's a very safe pick. Uh, I yeah. think you know exactly what you're getting with OJ Howard and you know, I don't we can debate, you know, the ceiling, you know, how good can he be? Will he be an all-pro? Will he be a pro bowler? You know, the, we can debate the ceiling, but he I think is a very high floor. You you have a good idea of uh, you know, what his strengths are, what he can do. So, I, I think yeah, I, I think you know, maybe even if he does slip by 12, he's not going to last much longer. I mean, he's going to go uh, somewhere in the top half of round one. Feel pretty confident about that. Your next quarterback comes off the board with that very next pick, the 13th pick overall to the Cardinals with Deshaun Watson. I know Arizona likes Deshaun Watson. Um, Would they like one of these other quarterbacks more? Maybe. Yeah, you look at him, and I think Deshaun Kaiser – actually fits better in terms of you know, maybe what we've seen, you know, Bruce Arians, uh, or the type of quarterback he's worked with in the past, you know, Deshaun Kaiser is more of that uh, uh, Carson Palmer, Ben Roethlisberger. He, he fits more of that mold, you know, the big strong arm passer uh, can move in the pocket. Uh, you know, Desh- Deshaun Watson doesn't have that size, doesn't have that big arm. Uh, but I, I have heard that they really like Watson and everything that he offers. Uh, we, obviously, the winning intangibles, the resume. Uh, the biggest concern with Watson really comes down to can you trust him from the pocket? Uh, can he be a consistent downfield thrower uh, when he's uh, getting pressured? Uh, you know, Can he step up and avoid pressure? Uh, that's something we didn't see he, him do enough on, on film. Too many times he's dropping his eye level, escaping the pocket where he feels most comfortable. And even downfield, I mean, he had 17 interceptions last year. Uh, Decision-making was up and down. A lot of times he would uh, throw it just in the vicinity of Mike Williams, and he'd kind of bail Deshaun Watson out. So, you know, Watson's not a perfect prospect by any means. It's why, you know, he's, you know, might fall out of the top 10 in this class. But there's a lot to like about him. I think he fits a lot of what the what Arizona is looking for. And like I said, I know they like him quite a bit, and they, they view him highly. So I think he's an option there at 13. I guess my concern with Watson, and and I'm no no scout or draft analyst like you, Dane, but but I have read a lot, and it seems like everybody, and, and you just mentioned this as well, everybody lists the best thing about him as 
these intangibles, leadership and showing up mm -hmm. in the big game. And obviously those are things you want in your quarterback, but I don't know if you want that to be the drawing point. So, I mean, is that a concern that everything, the go-to for him seems to be, you know, not necessarily skill-based, but more of uh, mental or, or just showing up w when he's needed. Is that a concern at all? Uh, you know, it's something that teams really value the intangibles part, you know, with, especially with the quarterback. And of course you need the physical skill. Uh, you know, obviously you need, uh, you know, the arm, uh, you know, the, the passing traits to survive in this league. But, um, you know, I've, I've listened to Bruce Arians talk about the quarterback position. And the first two traits that he's mentioned is the brain and the heart. That's what he talks about, that what he looks for in a quarterback. And so, and, I, and I've, you know, I've listened to, you know, Aaron Rodgers talk about it. And he, he talks about how, uh, you know, 25% of playing the quarterback position is, uh, just based on physical skill, the other 75% is all mental. It's, it, you know, your ability, your confidence, your ability to move on from mistakes, your ability to, uh, you know, just allow the game to slow down for you, work through your reads, uh, and, you know, show up in clutch situations. And that's something that Deshaun Watson has done. Uh, on a, he did it often last year. Uh, for Clemson, you look at the Louisville game. Uh, you know, you you point to obviously the national title game with Alabama. You you could point to several uh, examples on film where he had to lead that team back in the second half, in the fourth quarter, to the final drive. And I think that's something that coaches uh, that'll really resonate with coaches. And so, um, I you know because that is his most impressive traits. Um, you know, he has the physical skills as well. He, I think he's just, he needs work as a passer. And so as long as teams feel comfortable that they can develop him as a passer uh, in the certain areas that he needs some tweaking, uh, I think it's going to be a strong selling point that everything else that he brings to the field. Dane, I think you make real strong points there. It still, it just doesn't seem like a scheme fit to me. You know, I mean, Watson does not remind me of Big Ben, Locke, Palmer. Mm -hmm you know, as a downfield passer, as an arm strength guy. But, hey, you're doubt in. I certainly believe you. Uh, I want to take this opportunity real quick, though, to tell everybody about our sponsor, our buddies at Loot Crate. Uh, if you are on an epic quest for epic gear of housewares and collectibles, Loot Crate offers an epic range of pop culture items for less than $20 a month. Whether you're shopping for the geek in your life or if you are that geek, Loot Crate is the best surprise you know is coming every month. Every month, there's a different theme and new exclusive items you can only get with Loot Crate. And treat yourself every month or give the gift of geeking out to a friend or a loved one. For April, join them as they salute some of their favorite mystery solvers with items from Stranger Things, Batman, The X-Files, Marvel's Jessica Jones. Uh, one lucky subscriber will also win a mega crate, includes signed copies of Jessica Jones, alias volumes one through four. And you have until the 19th at 9 p.m. Pacific to subscribe to receive that crate. And when that cutoff happens, it's over. So this is what you do. You go over to lootcrate.com slash Dynasty Blueprint, enter the code Dynasty Blueprint, and you will save a couple bucks off an already cheap subscription today. Thanks to Loot Crate. Dan, let's look next at the Philadelphia Eagles. You have them taking running back Christian McCaffrey with the 14th overall pick. Uh, this is really where... Um, fantasy football owners would would kind of perk up with McCaffrey landing with Philly. What are your thoughts on that one? I really like this fit. Uh, I think McCaffrey with Coach Peterson, I think they'd be able to use him uh, in the right way. Like I mentioned before, I think 
I think McCaffrey is a featured back. You just have to kind of tweak your opinion or your definition of what a featured back is because he's not going to carry the ball 25 times a game, but he can touch the ball 20 to 25 times a game. Line him up in the slot. He, it, it, when he's out there, he's going to be one of your best route runners, um, it's, you know, and t- including the wide receivers. And so use him in the backfield, motion him out, uh, let him be a chess piece uh, where you keep defensive guessing, defenses guessing. You know, I, the, I think the comparison, the best comparison for him um, that I've seen is Brian Westbrook. And obviously, uh, you know, Philadelphia fans, uh, you know, understand you know, everything that Westbrook brought to the table. I think McCaffrey can be that type of type of weapon. So I really like the fit with, with Coach Peterson uh, in that, that situation. So uh, I, if I'm the rest of the AFC or the NFC East, I, I would hate to see McCaffrey go to Philly there at the 14th pick. Yeah, I really like the Westbrook comp. Um, the one that we've talked about on here that we've heard pretty often is Reggie Bush. I haven't seen that. That In what I've seen of McCaffrey, that hasn't necessarily been clear, but I think the Westbrook uh, comparison makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, on the surface, it seems like, you know, the need is a, a bigger back, but, you know, times are changing, and sometimes you just take the best guy available at the position you need that you love – and this would certainly be a very Carson Wentz friendly pick, right? Exactly, and that's what you—that's th- what you want to do is you want to help out your young quarterback, uh, surround him with a guy like this who is, you know, not only is he going to be a dump off option, uh, you know, when you're going through your progressions, and you know, you we know Carson Wentz, has, you know, as a rookie, was not the most accomplished downfield thrower. Uh, but you're going to have a lot of designed plays to get the ball in McCaffrey's hands. And like I said, you can do it in so many ways, uh, just as a, as a ball carrier, as a receiver out of the backfield. Uh, I really like what he could do for Wentz and his development. And it, there's only so many teams where I, I guess I would trust staff and the offensive coordinator to truly use uh, McCaffrey in the right way. Obviously, the Patriots, they've shown – they can use that type of talent uh, in the right way. Uh, some other teams, but I, I do think Coach Peterson and Philly, uh, that would be one of the teams that would understand how to best use those strengths. Your next next player we want to talk about in your mock draft is Mike Williams. You have him coming off the board with the 16th overall pick to the Ravens. I think this is probably one that fantasy owners would not be too excited about, but I think the same would be true with with really any wide receiver landing in Baltimore, it's just not a sexy spot, not, not a place that's going to get you excited from a fantasy production standpoint, but talk about um, the Ravens needs and, and what Williams can do for them. Well, when you look at the Baltimore receiver, uh, there just, there isn't much that scares you there as an opposing defense. Uh, You know, we'll see with Perryman, uh, if he can stay healthy and on the field, uh, you know, what he can bring, but with Mike Williams, and, and you look at the roster, they have plenty of speed uh, on the wide receiver depth chart, uh, but not much size. And Mike Williams is kind of the opposite. He's not the, the fastest wide receiver, but he has plenty of size. And you factor in his body control, uh, his ball skills, uh, his ability to extend that catch radius and you know, bring down passes from the clouds. Uh, there, there's so much to like about him on back shoulder throws. Really remind you know, especially in those back shoulder throws, you see a lot of AJ Green. Uh, it's just really impressive. So I think you bring him in. I think Flacco and uh, Mike Williams can really develop some chemistry, and uh, you know, it just adds another dimension to uh, an offense that I think just it just needs a little bit of juice. Uh, you know, and I think that would definitely help. 
Next up is your uh, second tight end off the board. We already had O.J. Howard to the Browns. Now David Njoku, formerly of the Miami Hurricanes, going to Tennessee. Of course, they have Delaney Walker. He's been productive, but he's getting up there in years. This would just add to that uh, to that offense that's becoming better and better. Really surprised some some people last year. Talk about Njoku to Tennessee. Yeah, and I think you know with Tennessee having two first round picks, uh, five and eighteen. Uh, I think we would all agree that one of those should be a weapon for Mariota, yeah, whether it's a receiver or a playmaking tight end like Njoku. Uh, you, you have to help out your young quarterback. And so uh, here at 18, I think Njoku makes a lot of sense. Uh, it's a player that the Titans have worked out and they've met with him. Uh, they've done a lot of research on him. He's one of the youngest players in the draft, only 20 years old, doesn't turn 21 until the summer. Uh, just a physical freak uh, at 6'4", 246 pounds. Uh, you know, he was a national champion, a high jumper in high school. At his pro day, he verticaled 40 inches. Uh, ran uh, in the four fives and the 40 yard dash. Just a really impressive athlete. He's still growing as a receiver. He's far from a polished uh, pass catcher in terms of as a route runner. Uh, he'll have his share of drops. But when you think about where he could be, uh, you know, a year from now and then moving forward, uh, it's easy to get excited. So uh, put him on the roster, let him grow with Mariota. Uh, and, you know, it's, you don't need him to fill a need right away, uh, obviously, with Delaney Walker still there. But you can get him on the field, uh, get his feet wet, and he can help you as a rookie uh, and then continue to grow down the road. Dana, I assume that if Davis or Williams would have been there, you would have penciled them in immediately, right? And if and did John Ross cross your mind at all at 18? Yeah, you know, it definitely. Uh, I think if Davis or Williams were there, uh, that they would make uh, plenty of sense. Uh, you know, the, Tennessee has plenty of bodies at receiver, but they just they are missing that true number one threat. That that guy that Mariota can really rely on, um, and you know, Davis or Williams could be that guy. So definitely, both would be in play with John Ross. I, I struggle with him because in this in this first round mock, he, he didn't make the cut, uh, and it, it's because of the injuries. It's because of the durability factor. Uh, if you feel, if you tell me that John Ross is going to start, uh, you know, 14 to 16 games uh, each year of the next, you know, three to four years, well, then he's a first round pick and he's going to go high, uh, somewhere in the top 20 picks. But I've talked to plenty of people around the league who just, they worry with that size, uh, you know, with multiple knee injuries, uh, just had uh, shoulder surgery. Uh, it just, he's a smaller guy uh, with a history of injuries and, you know, the, the greatest predictor of future injuries is past injuries. And for a player like this, you're talking about investing a first-round pick in. Uh, I know there's a lot, of, a lot of teams that have reservations. So will John Ross end up in the first round? Uh, I think there's a good chance he does. I would not be surprised at all, especially if you go top 20. Here, 18 to Tennessee would definitely make some sense. Uh, I just know there's a lot of reservations about him uh, with the durability around the league. We're getting down towards the end of the your first round mock, and there's some very interesting picks coming up. You've got the Giants taking quarterback Patrick Mahomes. He's been one of the players, uh, by all accounts, that's just flying up the boards. Wasn't necessarily viewed as a first rounder, uh, at least by by us outside of the league, a few weeks ago or a couple months ago. But he is there now. You've got the Giants taking him. The Cardinals earlier go Watson with with Carson Palmer sitting there already in the fold. And now the Giants, of course, with Eli Manning 
are looking towards the future with Patrick Mahomes. Talk about that fit. Yeah, obviously the Giants are, are doing you know their due diligence on this player. Uh, you know, uh, with, with going to their pro day, uh, with meeting with uh, Pat Mahomes uh, on several occasions. So you know, obviously there's interest. Um, enough interest to take him at 23. Uh, only the Giants can answer that, but I do think it's a possibility. It's something that we need to talk about. Uh, with Eli Manning, obviously, uh, you know he's he's on the back nine. Uh, who knows how many more years he has left? And it would really be a good fit for Mahomes because he's not ready to help you in 2017. Uh, he's I don't I'm not, I'm not confident he's going to help you. You know, just to begin the 2018 season. That's how raw Pat Mahomes is. To me, he's a second round player. I there's no chance I would touch him in the first round. He just he's there's too many things that you worry about with a player that's so raw mentally. Now, yes, he's fun to watch. The highlights are fun. Uh, the arm talent, uh, his mobility, his ability outside of structure to improvise. Uh, you know, It has a little Johnny Manziel to him with the way he can move around and make something out of nothing. Uh, and that's great, but when you put him in structure and ask him to consistently deliver from the pocket, uh, you know that that's when you worry, and it's it's anyone's guess how he's going to develop once he gets into an NFL camp. So uh, I think his value is probably going to be in that first round. You know, just obviously quarterback values uh, are obviously inflated uh, in most cases, and this year I don't think it'll be any different. Uh, so Pat Mahomes likely goes in the first round. So if the Giants want him, they probably have to take him here at 23. I, I don't love the fit. I, I think he's more of a you know mid second round pick. That's where I would feel comfortable maybe you know pulling the trigger at that point. You know turning in my lottery ticket. But uh, at 23, uh, you know just kind of reading the tea leaves. I think that's a possible fit for the Giants and Mahomes. I would love that pick, but if they have a more Live for today attitude. I mean, it wasn't the case in your mock because he was already gone. I mean, I could absolutely see Najoku there. And I guess a follow up mm -hmm. on that: Do you think they would consider Engram? Possibly, uh, and it depends if they're comfortable. To me, Ingram is a wide receiver. He's a big slot guy, uh, and if you're comfortable using him in that type of role, absolutely, I think that makes some sense. Uh, I, I think identifying a tight end there would would definitely help out that offense and you make a good point about this is a team that's ready to win now uh you know they you know the cowboys uh, you, you could argue whether or not they're uh you know they got better or worse this offseason but the giants are not far behind in terms of competing for that division uh you know especially uh for a wild card at the very least so uh, it's a win now team so easily we could see them going a different direction than quarterback uh, and, and help that team, a player that can help them win now. And if a tight end is available, it sure would make sense. Let's skip ahead to the last pick in the first round, the Saints, uh, because I think it fits this the same conversation that we are having. You have them uh, taking Deshaun Kaiser, the quarterback, presumably would sit behind Drew Brees uh, until he's ready to retire. So a similar situation with Mahomes and Manning and Watson and Palmer. Is that how you're seeing it? Right. And with Drew Brees, he's entering the last year of his deal. Um, he's, I think he's going to be 38 years old. Uh, it's just something where at some point you have to plan for the future. And with Deshaun Kaiser, uh, that's, that's the perfect development quarterback, in, in my opinion, because uh, we've seen him do it on the college level. Now, he's just missing the consistency, 
but we've seen him uh, be able to read coverage. We've seen him go you know, left to right, make whole field reads. Uh, his ability to move in the pocket with his eyes downfield and evade pressure, you know, sense that pressure, uh, it, really impressive from a, a player that just turned 21 years old. So uh, the consistency is an issue. It's something that uh, why he's going to probably still be available in the late first round and why you don't want him starting right away. But if you can bring him in and develop that, I think there's a lot there that you can work with. Uh, so uh, to me, Deshaun Kaiser, the perfect uh, development quarterback, wouldn't be surprised if we see a team like Cleveland or uh, even a San Francisco, one of these teams, maybe trade back into the late first round, pick up that fifth year option uh, and get a quarterback like Kaiser that they can develop. Uh, at that point, uh, you know, if you're Cleveland, you get, you know, two impact players at one and 12, and then you're able to get the quarterback that you think you can develop long term, uh, you know, with that, that, that third pick in a late first, that, that makes plenty of sense uh, for them. So I, we'll see if Kaiser ends up going first round, but I think there's a better chance than not that he does. And the last uh, player we want to talk about in your mock, and Matt, this is one who could be the, the 1.01 rookie pick, if we're talking dynasty leagues, if it plays out as Dane projects here, Dalvin Cook to the Raiders with the 24th overall pick. You know, it seems like the combine hurt him. The pro day maybe hurt him a little bit, but his tape is still just unbelievable to me. So uh, what are your thoughts on on Dalvin Cook? Yeah, at the end of the day, I think teams are going to trust the tape when it comes to Dalvin Cook. Um and when you evaluate the running back position, uh, the ball carrier, uh, there are two main things you want to see. Can you navigate and can you create? And Dalvin Cook does both uh, exceptionally. Uh, I, when you watch him on film, his, his balance, his run tempo, his vision, his ability to set up his moves, make guys miss in a phone booth. Uh, to me, that's why Dalvin Cook is a top running back this year. Uh, and so if he's still on the board at 24, I, I know I've heard from plenty of Oakland fans who – uh, don't think that running back's the top need, and I would agree with them. I don't think running back is the top need on the roster, but at that point, I think uh, general manager uh, Reggie McKenzie, I think he'd be all over that. You know, we'll see what happens with Marshawn Lynch. You know, could he come back? Uh, you know, possibly with a uh, with the Raiders make another move at running back for the draft, possibly. But where we stand right now. Dalvin Cook at 24, I definitely think that's a possibility. Actually, I just want to mention that because it just came across the wire here that Lynch is meeting with the Raiders as we speak, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't draft Dalvin Cook if he's not there. You know, I mean, it's, right. and along those lines, I think linebacker is their biggest need, mm -hmm. but I think running back's right behind it. Is there other backs you think they could consider in, in the second day? And that's really probably the – uh, the best uh, reason against taking a running back in the first is because of all the running back uh, in this draft. It's such a deep class that second, third, fourth round, uh, you feel comfortable with who you can get uh, in those rounds and still, uh, you know, have a capable running game that's going to help out the passing game. So uh, I, I think that's the biggest reason not to go with a Dalvin Cook or a running back period in the first round uh, is because of the depth of this class and the guys you can get later on. Dane, next I want to transition our conversation a little bit. You talked about Evan Ingram. Uh, of course, he's viewed as a, a tight end uh, by most people. He worked out with the tight ends at the Combine and was labeled as a tight end during his college career at, at Ole Miss, but he often lined up out wide. Um, I guess fantasy owners or fantasy players are getting caught up with 
a, a trio of players this year and really wondering where they're going to play. And it seems like this probably matters for us more than it does for the NFL. They just want, they just want talented players and, and figure out where to put them later. But we've got three. You already talked about Ingram. There's also Bucky Hodges, who could be wide receiver, could be tight end. And then Curtis Samuel from Ohio State, who does a little bit of everything. So in your draft guide, you have Samuel listed as a running back and mm -hmm. then Ingram and Hodges both as wide receivers. Um, it, it seems that, that that's contrary to how they worked out at the Combine. So I guess talk about your process for and your reasoning for listing them with those those positions and how you see it playing out in the NFL. Well, start with Evan Ingram uh, at 6'3 and a half, 233 pounds. He just, he looks like a wide receiver. Uh, he has a you know a lean, muscled build. Doesn't have the the play strength or even the potential play strength to be a consistent inline player. Uh, it, you know it, it it'll depend on scheme and where he ends up uh, about his NFL future, about where he plays professionally. But when you watch him at Ole Miss, I mean, he was in the slot uh, most times. Uh, that's where he lined up, and that's where he did his damage over the middle of the field uh, using that big body. Uh, so I think that's just where he projects best as a big slot receiver. Now, for some teams, that is a tight end. That's how they that's how they utilize their tight end in the slot. But for teams that are looking for more of that traditional inline guy, that wide tight end, uh, Evan Ingram probably is will not be for them. Uh, you know, he's as a blocker is more of a a one pop daddy type of guy where he'll he'll hit you, he'll he'll give you his best effort, but he's not going to sustain consistently. Uh, so you want him detached from the line of scrimmage. And same thing with uh, with Bucky Hodges. Uh, when you watch Bucky Hodges, he lined up outside uh, primarily for that Virginia Tech offense. Uh, you know, he wasn't asked to block. And this is a former quarterback. He was he was a big time quarterback recruit when he got to Virginia Tech and they moved him out wide and they moved him to tight end actually because in practice they needed someone to uh, on the scout team to uh, be their uh, Eric uh, Ebron when Virginia Tech was playing North, uh, North Carolina way back when. And uh, Bucky Hodges did that, and they saw him at, in this role, and they thought, hmm, well, we've got something here. Let's keep him at this position. Uh, but that tight end, he was listed as a tight end for Virginia Tech, but he was con he was consistently lined up out wide. Um, and I I'm not as high on Bucky Hodges as others. Just because I didn't see, I didn't see any development. You know what he showed as a redshirt uh, freshman and as a redshirt sophomore was really intriguing, but it, you just didn't see that consistent development. You didn't see him get any better in a lot of areas uh, you know, as a route runner, uh, as his ability to uh, you know in jump ball situations. Uh, he, he has a lot of a, a lot of skill, a lot of ability there, but I think he's very raw, and I'm just I'm kind of torn. He might be a true tweener player because he's six six, two hundred and fifty five pounds. He's a big guy. Uh, he looks more like that tight end, but he just wasn't asked to block consistently. And so I, I think if you're gonna line him up with his hand on the ground, uh, you know teams are gonna be, uh, you know, I just I'm not sure he can be that true wide traditional tight end that most teams want. Uh, and then Curtis Samuel. I, I don't really understand why people want to put him at wide receiver. Uh, I mean, he averaged 7.9 yards per rush at Ohio State as a senior or as a junior this past year. Why do you want to take that out of the backfield? Uh, I mean, you, you can put him in the slot, uh, you know, from time to time because he can run routes. He can catch the ball. Uh, you know, he had, I think, 74 catches uh, last year as a junior. So we know he can do that. 
but he's also a very, very uh, athletic ball carrier. And, and so I'm going to use him as a complimentary piece, you know, just kind of like a Christian McCaffrey where he can do a little bit of everything. Uh, trying to label him as strictly a wide receiver or strictly a running back, I, I just don't see much sense in that. The comp I've seen pretty often with Samuel is is Percy Harvin. I haven't I haven't necessarily mm-hmm. seen that level of explosiveness, I guess, from him his game. To me, he's more Randall Cobb. You know, a lot of people forget all that Cobb did in in college. I'm. Right. Dane, our listeners know I'm a big Kentucky fan. So, mm-hmm. you know, I loved watching Cobb play here at UK and, and of course, in the NFL. But at, at Kentucky, he came out of the backfield. He played special teams. He did a little bit of everything. And to me, that's kind of more of what I've seen with, with Samuel. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, and with what he can do – see, I don't, I don't think Samuel's as polished – uh, as Cobb was coming out of Kentucky, um, I, I think he's he's more of that inside slot receiver where uh, you know on slants and you know some simple one cut routes. That's where he's best. I we haven't seen Samuel consistently run uh, you know a more sophisticated route tree. And is he able to? I, I think possibly, but uh, from what we've seen at Ohio State, the way he was used, uh, we just didn't see that a lot. Uh, he was used in that kind of that H back Percy Harvin role, uh, but I do I think I'd agree with you. You, you know, he's he did run a four three one a forty yard dash, but he's not that just sudden start stop athlete that Percy Harvin was. But I think he could be used in a similar type of role. Um, but then obviously with that comes uh, durability questions. You know, he's five eleven, one hundred ninety six pounds. He's not the biggest guy, uh, and so he definitely needs a complementary role. Uh, where he's not going to be taking uh, as much punishment as maybe he did at Ohio State. Dane, going back to the tight ends real quick, you know, you, you'd list those two at wide receiver as we mentioned, which opens up a spot for Adam Shahan, Sheehan as your number three tight end. Mm-hmm. Really interesting guy. Can you just tell our listeners a little bit about him? One of my favorite players in this draft. Uh, and for those that don't know anything about him, he – was a football and basketball player in high school. Uh, wasn't, uh, you know, didn't receive, he was only 190 pounds. Uh, so he didn't receive a lot of attention from, uh, from colleges. And he decided to go to the basketball route because that's where the scholarship money was. So he goes and plays basketball uh, at Pittsburgh, Johnstown. And after a year there, he decided, you know what, I miss football. And so he put out a few feelers. Uh, Division two Ashland uh, was a team that showed some interest. So he goes there in 2014 uh, as a tight end. And then in 2015 becomes a starter. The past two years, he has just dominated uh, division two competition. Uh, and when you look at him, he's six, six and a half, 278 pounds, legit four, seven athlete. Uh, just, I mean, he was dominating these guys and it's, it's tough because when you watch the film, it's just not even fair, but he's also facing future dentists and accountants. So how do you, how do you even you know put that into perspective when he's going to be facing NFL level athletes on defense? So there's going to be a big projection here with this player, um, and he's a junior, a redshirt junior that came out. So we don't have the benefit of a Senior Bowl or you know the post uh, the postseason All Star games to really uh, gain a, a better perspective on how we do against better competition. Uh, now he went to the combine, looked outstanding. But he's the true inline guy where you feel good about him as a blocker, uh, his potential down the road. He'll get better and better in that area. Uh, I, I really like Adam Shaheen. To me, I would draft him somewhere top 50. Uh, I know that's uh, that's higher than a lot of people have him. But I, I really believe in his who he is right now and who he can be down the line. 
I just wanted to hear you mention UPJ. That's my alma mater. We don't get to talk about them too okay. often in football shows. There you go. <laughs> Dane, let's let's move over and focus on the running back position for a little bit. This class, from again from a fantasy perspective, has really been viewed as a, a game changer. You know, the depth, the volume of of quality backs in this class. A lot of people are comparing it to that 2008 group that had McFadden and Stewart and Mendenhall, Chris Johnson, Ray Rice, and and so many others, Jamal Charles in that group as well. So let's look at a few of the guys who we didn't mention in that first round mock, and probably the player most talked about in this entire process is Joe Mixon. You've got him a little bit lower uh, in, in your ranks, running back six overall. Is that due to the off-field stuff, or is there some concern you've seen on on tape? It's mostly the off-field. Um, it's it, Joe Mixon's a tough conversation, obviously, uh, with uh, and everyone knows kind of you know, the background and everything, uh, what's going on with him. Uh, I do have some questions about his effort um, and just him giving me everything I need, uh, snap in, snap out. That's something I, I I think you saw on tape, especially you know turn on the Texas game and you really worry about the effort, but. For me, I have him that second, third round area. Um, yeah, that's where I would feel comfortable drafting him. I think he's probably going to be off the board by then. I think somewhere in that mid to late second round is where he'll come off the board because he's a first round talent. And so, um, you know, my take on it is the incident that happened with him in the video, it was almost three years ago, uh, the weekend of his 18th birthday. Um, and I think there's a fine line between second chances and zero tolerance. And it's something that I have no problem with a team that says, look, you know, we've done our due diligence on this person and the player. We've talked to everyone we need to talk to, including the individual. And we feel confident this is something that will not happen again. Um, because I've, I've talked to Oklahoma coaches myself, and they've told me that he's been uh, you know, an up, uh, a fine person, uh, an individual, not someone they've had to worry about in the locker room, uh, on campus. So, I mean, that carries some weight. Um, you know, I, I think with, uh, but with Mixon, you know, obviously not everyone's, he's not going to be for everyone. And so I don't, I don't have no problem with anyone that says, listen, he's just not going to be on our board. Uh, that's not something that we're willing to do. So I'm fine both ways. I understand both sides of the argument here, but at, you know, that late second, early third round range, that's where me personally, I would feel comfortable taking him. Dane, on last week's show, we talked a little bit about Marlon Mack. I told Matt, he was a player that I needed to do some more studying on, which I haven't done in in this past week, but I, I know you have. You have him as your running back nine. What The little I've seen, I had some concerns about him as a between-the-tackle runner. What are your thoughts mm -hmm. on, on Mac? Yeah, he's he's at his best when he can get outside. He just doesn't have that commitment between the tackles that you want to see. Uh, when he has an ability to stretch out his legs and uh, really show off that speed, that, that's where he shines. That's where, obviously, he's most comfortable. Uh, it's clear from watching uh, all the film that, that that's what he likes doing the most. So uh, I think for, uh, you know, on stretch plays, outside zone, uh, design runs, that that's where you want to see a Marlon Mack. Uh, and use that skill set that he has. Very speedy. Uh, he uses that instant speed, and he'll get caught going east-west a little too much at times, but when he does gain that corner and he can get downfield, attack the second level, uh, he, he's a lot of fun to watch. So I don't think he's built necessarily to take that consistent punishment. Uh, also, fumbles were a big issue for him. He had 12 the past three seasons uh, and wasn't used as a receiver as much as you want to see. So 
I, I think I would, to me, I have him as a, as a third, fourth round pick. Um, and you know, I bring him in as a complimentary back, uh, you know, a change up or a fastball for, you know, whoever my other running back is as a change up. Uh, and I think his development as a blocker, a receiver, and with his ball security, that will ultimately decide, uh, you know, kind of his trajectory at the next level. Do you think Tevin Coleman comparisons are fair? Coleman, I, I trusted. Uh, I mean, I, I, I get that why you would say that because of, uh, you know, outside zone and uh, ability to when they can stretch out their, their legs and, uh, you know, get going in a straight line and show off that speed. That's where they're best. Uh, but I, he, I think he was a little tougher. You saw a little bit more power with Coleman, uh, with Marlon Mack. I, I just doesn't have. He's he's 213 pounds, but you didn't see a lot of after contact, uh, you know, type of ability. And so I'm not sure he has the same type of uh, strength, play strength, uh, power. Uh, but I, I do get why you would say that. Yeah. Dan, the last running back I wanted to ask you about was Deontay Foreman. Um, he's a, a player that. I'm not a big fan of, uh, it seems like maybe you're not either. You have him as running back 14 and I know, I know you're based out of Texas. So I'm, I'm sure you know his game pretty well. What puts him down uh, that low for you? Well, you know, he's built like a tank uh, and he has a little bit of power to him. And, you know, the thickness that he runs with, uh, you know, he'll, defenders will, will fall off of him. Uh, he runs with a low center of gravity. Uh, there, there's a lot to like. You know, he ran a great time, four fours at the 40 yard dash, but he's not an elusive back. He's not a guy that you are going to trust uh, to make guys miss and uh, consistently be as productive as he was in college. Uh, he, I mean, the Big 12 just doesn't play defense. I mean, they don't. I mean, playing is simple. I mean, he ran over some pretty bad defenses. Uh, and not to take anything away from Foreman. I mean, he ran over over 2,000 yards last year. Uh, he deserves a lot of credit for what he did. But as he transitions to the pro level, uh, I like the comparison of an Andre Williams who, you know, did the same thing at Boston College. I mean, he had a very productive career. But so far as an NFL player just haven't seen that same type of production because he's uh, more of a, uh, you know, more of a bruiser, more of a guy that uh, is going to be a between the tackles runner and isn't going to make guys miss consistently. Um, you know, never going to have a high uh, carry uh, or uh, yards per carry average. That's just, it's not going to be, uh, it's not who he is going to be with Foreman. I just, I don't, he's not a accomplished receiver out of the backfield, needs some work in pass pro. I just don't see a distinguishing trait here with this player that I can hang my hat on and feel really good about him at the next level. No wiggle at all, right? No, that's not. I mean, he's, uh, you know, he, he's a light footed guy, but he's not going to fool defenders, you know, enough where he's going to be able to, you know, especially NFL linebackers, you know, he's not going to make those guys miss. Dan, let's finish up with the wide receiver position. Uh, there's four guys I want to ask you about here. Two, you seem to be pretty high on, maybe higher than consensus, and two on the other end of that. Let's start with your wide receiver five, Chad Hansen, the Cal uh, slot guy. What what do you like so much about Hansen to rank him that highly? Well, and, and a little bit about his background. I mean, he was a no-star recruit type of guy. Uh, actually went to Idaho State, uh, one of the only schools uh, to give him a, a scholarship, an FCS level. But after a year there, uh, after a productive freshman year, you know, Hanson, he, he, he bet on himself. He's like, I'm an FBS athlete. I should be playing at a high level. So he actually walked on at Cal, uh, set that out a season, 
uh, it really bet on himself. And you know, last year he was buried on the depth chart behind all the receivers they had. Uh, and then this year became a starter, and he was the go-to weapon for Davis Webb. He had 92 catches over nine starts, uh, really productive in the Pac-12. A big part of that was the offense, but when you look at Hanson and everything he brings, uh, you know, he reminds me a lot of, uh, as an underneath target, uh, what he can do as a Julian Edelman. I mean, he can do everything that Julian Edelman can do as an underneath target, but Hanson is also... Uh, very, very good down the field as a vertical threat. The body control, the ball skills, uh, what he can do uh, from even when he's covered, he has a, just a very, a very good sense uh, of uncovering himself at the top of routes. Uh, very uh, light-footed athlete. Speed isn't a question. He's a four-four guy. Uh, just the game seems to slow down for him at the catch point. So I, I just I don't see a lot of holes in his game. I think he can be a very productive NFL receiver. Uh, so eager to see where Hanson ends up. You know, like probably like most college football fans, I watched a lot of Alabama games this year. I always tuned in hoping to see uh, Calvin Ridley or OJ Howard mm-hmm. make a big play. And it seems like every single game it was Ardarius Stewart instead, who was uh, getting most of the attention. You've got him ranked as your sixth wide receiver. So talk to us a little bit about Stewart. A high school quarterback who made the adjustment to wide receiver, uh, and you still see it. You know, he's still growing at the position uh, as a route runner, um, as just being a more polished uh, uh, pass catcher. But he's a threat at every level of the defense uh, against the against the defense with what he can do uh, with his speed, with his play speed, with his ball skills. Uh, very competitive runner uh, before and after the catch. Uh, very tough guy. He's built 5'11", 204 pounds, but he, he plays a lot tougher than that. Uh, very good blocker. Uh, I feel confident that he's going to, if I'm going to throw it in his area, he's going to come down with it. So I, I feel good about where Ardarius Stewart is right now today, but then I also really feel good about him down the road. Uh, you know, he, had, he accounted for 10 plays of at least 30 yards last year for Alabama, and this is with an Alabama team that struggled to, to really have a downfield uh, passing game with uh, Hertz at quarterback. So I, I think our Darius Stewart really shined this past year uh, with some hiccups at the quarterback position. So I, I, I to me, I see a, a Muhammad Sanu type of type of receiver, a guy that can be very productive once he gets to the NFL. You think he's a two eventually, though, huh? I'm going to do it. Yeah, all I think he's going. Yeah, right. I, I think he'd be a perfect complement, a, a true number two, uh, similar similar to a Sanu. As you don't want him to be the lead singer, but uh, you know you want him right there, part of the action. Dane, maybe my favorite wide receiver in this class, uh, not necessarily my top ranked, but but one of my favorites is Juju Smith Schuster. It seems like we disagree on that. You've got him as your 14th overall wide receiver. He obviously struggled in his junior year after a huge sophomore year and, and, a, and a solid first year in college. Uh, what are your concerns with Juju? Uh, I, I think he just he needs to work on the little things, um, the details of his routes, of his patterns, especially at the top of routes. You just don't see a lot of separation on film. Um, and with his, uh, just his physical skill set, you know, six, one and a half, 215 pounds, he didn't necessarily have to do that at, in college, but, uh, you know, similar to a Laquan Treadwell, you know, he didn't have to consistently separate in college because he was a big body guy who, uh, you know, had no problem with a receiver on his hip. 
And so just like, you know, Treadwell facing a big jump now at the NFL level where he needs to become a little bit more refined at the top of routes, I think it's going to be the same thing with Juju where he has, he has a, the, the, the size, he's an athletic guy, but I think he just needs to become a more detailed receiver. And I think he can do that. Um, uh, but I know I, I gave him a third round grade. Um, you know, I think the, the focus drops, they can be frustrating. Um, not a true elite speed guy, more of a, a, you know, mid four fives type of athlete. And you can win with these type of guys. Um, I just, I have plenty of other uh, receivers that I like more than him this year. Uh, but I, I do like plenty of what he brings to the field. You mentioned Treadwell, um, you know, that he's been, um, kind of a thorn in the side to dynasty owners o- over this past mm-hmm. year, based on what you saw a year ago and, and the very little we all got to see his first year in Minnesota. Do you have hopes for him turning things around? Can he develop or, or is that just a bust of a pick? Well, it's all mental. It, that's all it is. I mean, and it's something that um, I'm not sure even the Vikings coaches who see him day in, day out during practice can really tell you. Uh, it just it, it all comes down to uh, Laquan and how he develops mentally. The, can he clear these hurdles that he needs to clear to become an NFL wide receiver? Not every not every receiver does. And, you know, I think we've been spoiled in recent years with all the success with these first round wide receivers. Traditionally, wide receivers kind of the the slowest position to acclimate themselves to the speed of the NFL game just because a lot of receivers aren't used to running the full route tree they're not used to facing press coverage they're not used to uh you know a lot of things that the NFL offers uh or you know NFL defenses are going to throw at them so for a lot of receivers it just it takes 2 to 3 years before they make the full adjustment and with Laquan Treadwell, I think it's it's a pure mental thing can he get over those hurdles absolutely i think he can but at this point, I think it's anyone's guess, you know, will he be able to do that? And, you know, can he do that uh, this year as a sophomore? I, I, you just hope to see improvement. You hope to see a gradual step in the right direction for him this year. Dane, the last player we want to talk about today is uh, Malachi Dupree. Uh, came out as, a, as one of the top recruits in that class uh, three years ago and just never really got it going he showed certainly showed flashes at lsu but that that offense especially the pass offense was just so so poor um i think that's one thing that fantasy players are maybe hanging their hat on with this guy is he's got the talent he just couldn't show it at lsu but you've got him at wide receiver 33 so maybe it sounds like you trust more of what you have seen or or even haven't seen the past three years yeah i'm just i'm just not a believer uh in dupree i've seen enough of him and and look he there's a lot about that lsu offense that just makes you scratch your head so you know the the career production doesn't look good but you know he dealt with inaccuracy at the quarterback position a lot of times just uh, offensive play calling that leaves you just uh, befuddled so you know a lot of the production uh, you know the lack of production that that's not on him but you know he's still very raw. I mean, he's a size, speed athlete. That that's what he is, and he gives you flashes, but it didn't show any consistency uh, catching the ball. Uh, too many drops. I I don't think he's a natural hands catcher, uh, and that's not something I really expect him to get better at, uh, especially in contested situations. I mean, he'll make uh, the crazy one-handed catch, acrobatic catch here or there, but a consistent down and down out guy. I'm going to rely on. So, you know, maybe he'll prove me wrong. He'll go with the right team. You know, start off as a number four receiver and then work his way up. 
but you know, he's just he's not yet the sum of his parts. And uh, I, I I see him as a depth option, a guy, a long term development guy. Uh, you know, not someone who's going to come in help you right away. Uh, you know, he's going to someone you stash on the roster and hope he develops. All right, Dan, you have covered a lot of ground today. We really appreciate it. Uh, before we wrap up, just tell our listeners where they can find your work. Find my work at CBS Sports and NFLDraftScout.com, uh, uh, and then also on Twitter at DP Brugler. If anyone interested in the draft guide, I, I promise you will not be disappointed. Uh, if you're interested in you know NFL, uh, all, all these prospects and what they have to offer, uh, something that I think will have you covered in this guide. So check out my Twitter. I have it, uh, the link pinned at the top. Uh, appreciate all the feedback I've received on that. It's been a lot of fun interacting with everyone and you know their thoughts and uh, everything they have, to, they have to say. So really appreciate everyone who's checked it out. Yeah, I know Matt and I, again, both strongly recommend that. I have really enjoyed reading it and learned a lot. And uh, again, Dane, we appreciate you joining us today and, and sharing some of your knowledge about this incoming draft class. Dane, thanks so much. Oh, this was fantastic, man. No, I really enjoyed it. You guys do a great job with the podcast. Uh, you know, hopefully you guys can have me back sometime. I really enjoyed it. All right. Thanks again. And we'll be back next week with more Dynasty Blueprint. <laughs> <laughs>